Hey everybody, welcome back to Create Out Loud. I'm your host, Jen Loud, and this is the show where we get into the nitty-gritty of the creative life. How do we own our voices, especially as people who identify as women? How do we make time for our projects? How do we make money? This is the show for emerging creatives and for those of us who are professionals and have businesses and make our livelihood from our creativity. This week I have a really different kind of guest, and I think that you are going to relate so much to her experience of creating. It's Sarah Flick. She's a psychiatrist, a spiritual director, and the author of the brand new book, Desire, Mystery, and Belonging. And it is a book that I have been intimately involved with as Sarah's coach and writing mentor. And the reason why I wanted to have Sarah on is because 21 years ago when I met Sarah at my very first writing retreat that I hosted, Sarah didn't think of herself as a writer, even though she had wanted to write since she learned to read. And Sarah certainly didn't know that 21 years later, we would walk together and produce a book that has been such an integral part of her growth and spiritual journey. I think you can track your own creative journey, at least parts of it, through what you're about to hear from Sarah. And you may just be a step or two away from owning your work and putting it out in the world. So for introverts and for people with busy lives and incredibly intense careers, don't give up hope. That's the takeaway from this episode. So let's dive in. Sarah, when did you first realize for yourself that you're a writer? I would say not all that long ago. Surprisingly, (laughs) I wanted to be one for a very long time. Ever since I learned how to read, as soon as I figured that out, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. I want to write one. Uh, But a lot of other things happened. I would say it was within the last eight or nine years, I had written things professionally like book chapters and other things like that. But to write the way I wanted to write really took a lot of my life before I had the internal space to get there. When I was writing in community, that was really a game changer. It's so fascinating to me that you were writing, you had to write to get your medical degree, you're a psychiatrist, you had to write as part of your professional career, but you didn't consider that real writing. (laughs) Why do you think we do that to ourselves? Do you think it's about listening to the soul and really giving birth to that deepest calling? Or do you think it's more that we were waiting for someone to anoint us and say, yeah, you're a writer? I think that is part of it for sure. When I was growing up, academic writing, I mean, I was encouraged to do that. But I was not ever encouraged to publish. Almost never had a couple of opportunities where I did short things. And once where I did something and someone else was credited for it long, long time ago. I grew up in a hierarchy that was pretty clear. If a woman wanted to be a writer, there were all kinds of conditions. And I couldn't, I didn't even know what they were. And the librarian couldn't tell me because I asked. 
<laughs> you know, oh, my I can just see you. I can just <laughs> see this adorable little girl in a small town asking a librarian, so what are the requirements for you to be a writer? <laughs> How does this work? I mean, I was journaling probably formally by the time I was 15 and I wrote in a diary at seven. Did it have um, a little lock and key? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had one of those too. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was given when I said I want to be a writer. So it was nice. It wasn't like the male writers. So what we were taught in school that, you know, most of what we had to read, require reading was not women's writing. No, it was and white men. Yeah, white men. I think it took me through college and school and getting into a place where I felt like I was balanced enough in terms of my own credentials that I could consider that. And then I had no time or energy. I remember we had many of those conversations when we were still running the giant program at the hospital and raising your daughter and being a spiritual director and being a psychiatrist and being a wife to your Episcopalian priest husband. It was a lot. Elderly parents. It was hard to find by myself space and energy for that. And I would say the revolution started in 2002 when my sister who lived in California and she said, do you know who Jennifer Loudon is? And I said, yes, she wrote the women's comfort book. And And then she said, how would you like to go to a writing retreat with her? And I said, what are you talking about? And I can't even go to get my hair cut. But we did came and that was your first year. I thought it was a miracle and I didn't have a project. But what I did do in community, I mean, I think with with your holding that space as the teacher, leader, guide, facilitator, and the people around me, and it was new to everyone that time because it was the it's first new. time. It was the first time we did it. Here we are 21 um, years later. My dad had just entered hospice care and I needed to process that. I did that writing that week while I was there turned into an essay and it's in the book now (laughs) it's altered but it's in the book and I felt like that was magic you Mm. know because it was writing but it was more than just a grocery list it was more than an article for a journal it was me it was me on the page and me with whoever I shared that with that was when things began to change because And you've taught me everything about this, about showing up on the page. So I would say it took a long time, but now I don't know if time is short or long or fast or slow. (laughs) Isn't it so true when we're younger and that ambition is driving us in the different ways, as well as managing all the stuff of life that you and all of us have walked through. And if you haven't walked through it yet, you're probably going to walk through it later. We're so hungry to get the outcome, you know, and you're holding your first book in your hand now. And I have been privileged enough to walk through so many steps of that process with you. I find that when I look back at that journey that I know the parts of, and I'm sure I, of course, don't know all of them, is it doesn't feel long to me either, because it took the time it needed for you to become the person who could write the book you wanted to write. Exactly. And I think that's what I am most grateful for. I'm very excited to have this book and to be able to share it. And I am so grateful to have become someone who could do that. One of the things that I was privileged to walk with you through 
was giving yourself permission to share, to shape and share what you had to say. And it was always so astonishing to me as someone who was so accomplished in your professional fields of psychiatry and as a spiritual director, who's very well known within the Episcopalian community and as someone who's very beloved in your community. I mean, you have like major gravitas, but you struggled so much when I would give you comments on the manuscript. I need more of you here. I need to know more of you. I need to to be closer to you here. Do you think that is part and parcel of being a woman in this culture? Do you think it's partly just being an introvert and being raised? You're very much the kind of person who serves others. Truthfully, I think in my case, actually have been my spiritual path. Mm -hmm. And I had so much help from you and encouragement from other people. My publisher has been wonderful. She said, I have a message for you for this day, focus and savor. (laughs) That's beautiful. (laughs) And really be in it. So mm-hmm. I feel like she knew you in some life. <laughs> All connected, right? I feel like that I figured out early on as a girl and as a member, an oldest child in a family of four girls who was born in the southern half of the United States. And all that went with that, I think my sort of unstated goal was to be a gracious lady. (laughs) And that's how I would know that, you know, I was doing well. And I still aspire to that every day. And I know that that is important and kind and wonderful, but it made it really easy to just, you know, not me, you write a book and I'll, you know, read your book. And I did so many times I would say, Hey, why don't you write a book? I needed to to find that place where I really did bring all of myself, my whole self. Me on the page. That's really important. Maybe you're a writer and you're getting you and your characters or you and your personal stories, but maybe you're a painter or you're building a business plan. And you know that feeling when there's a rock bottom truth, something that really resonates with what you believe or want to be a stand for in the world or what you want to express or how you want to entertain people. And you know when you're not there, you know when you're hiding from yourself. And sometimes it takes a lot of time. It took Sarah a lot of years. And other times it it takes bringing in someone else, like like a coach, like Sarah worked with me, or a friend or getting some perspective, you know, taking it into some silence or on a retreat. But you know when it's there and you know when it's not. And you don't want to lie to yourself about that. That's where work really goes south. Not just to my life, because I think that is a human developmental journey that figure out who we want to be and then who we are. And we try to figure out where in the middle of that do we want to practice everything, practice living. I think reaching a spot might have been retirement. I don't know, because I retired early. I was fortunate enough to be able to do that. But I think bringing my whole self to living and also to this book and being excited and happy rather than anxious, because it's pretty vulnerable. It is. In some ways. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, just the act of it is pretty vulnerable. And then the material is my life, a lot of it. And so not all of it, but a lot of it. And I just feel like spiritually, that's the place that I didn't even know I needed to get to. Part of it was learned. And part of it was, I think I just grew up 
even now enough, a little bit more with a lot of support. And I just arrived. I'm like, okay, I can do this and I can publish it. And it's more important to me to share this. And if it helps one person, two people, 10 people, that's plenty. It's my whole self showing that we can do that. We can be in the world as we are. And it's more about the truth than it is about whether anybody likes it. I hope people like it. (laughs) I'm very hopeful that people will like it. But I also know that this is probably the most authentic thing I've done publicly, maybe ever. And that is part of our spiritual path, isn't it? Mm -hmm. For everyone listening, it's part of your spiritual path. It may not be the medium of writing. It may be another medium, but it is so essential that there's something of us that we express. Why do you think that is? We can belong to each other, to ourselves, to creation, to the world around us more easily, (laughs) more fully. I don't ever want to judge this because goodness knows, you know, we're all just lucky to be here right now, probably. And I realize how much struggle we've had recently. I think we help ourselves by allowing ourselves to show up as ourselves and to keep becoming ourselves because it's not going to stop. What I've observed in other people is that the more free people feel and parenthetically, the desire part, my interest in that originated from you talking about it, Jen, a long, 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 long time ago before Taos, way before. And then I also had known from my husband, who once was a Franciscan friar, that Bonaventure, who was a Franciscan friar too, but in the 1200s in Italy. <laughs> a little um, older than your husband. <laughs> a little older and that beautiful Assisi. But he said once, and I'm paraphrasing, we always paraphrase this stuff. If you want to know God, however you define God, the holy, whatever, you could say creation. If we want to know really anything beyond ourselves, we should follow our deepest desire. Our deepest desire, he said, was to be the most ourselves as we were in the deepest part of us, the most secret, deepest part of us, who we really are, the place that we feel like we're at home. As far as we can get on that path to following our deepest desire, not just new shoes or a new purse, those are fine. To really be free as who we are, then everything is simpler and freer. You know, when we free ourselves or allow ourselves to be free, I think we free other people. Are we free on a spiritual level, an energetic level, if you will, that we don't always understand? But I've seen it over and over again. And the reason it's hard is because you start to get there. You know, I want to be a doctor, I said once upon a time, and I hadn't planned that. When we start to follow our deepest desire, there's discernment involved in what is that. It's not really new shoes. Well, I want to live in Paris. Is that the deepest desire? Sometimes it takes a while to excavate that. And inevitably, I've never known anyone who was on that path and didn't run into what I call mystery, roadblock, (laughs) barrier, everything in the way. And that makes us want to give up sometimes. And, you know, if we don't fit into the cookie cutter, it makes it really easy to give up and say, well, never mind. You know, I'll just do that later and I'll go to the retreats because I love gin and I like to be in Taos. You know, and I had that thought many times. And I just- know, I remember, <laughs> I remember. Oh, I'm just here, here to rest and you might, you know, do some journaling and yeah. 
And I'd be like, really? And I eventually came to feel like to be a good steward of that gift, of that privilege, I needed to excavate a little deeper because I was comfortable on the front side of the mystery. Like, well, you know, I don't, this is good enough. And it might've been, it could have been, but there was something prompting me inside. There was a call inside to say, well, you know, just see what happens. This is such a privilege. What about being a good steward of this time, of this energy, of the group's energy? To be a good steward of the work. I remember the coaching conversation with Sarah when that clicked for her. And I don't remember exactly what I said or what she said, but there was this big aha that she realized that the motivation for her to finish and share this book really create something that could stretch to connect with someone else was doing good work in the world and doing justice to the ideas that she had. And it connected desire and mystery and belonging for her, that there was a part of belonging that would come with finishing the work and putting it out there. Now, you may not want to share your work. That's great. But you still got to find the motivation to feel like you got to a place where you're satisfied. And it may not come from traditional cultural tropes like making money, or it might. Money motivated me for many years. It still does. You know, I want to go on a good vacation every now and then, but it's not as motivating as it was when I was young and needed to save for college and, and, you know, pay the mortgage. And really, I was the main supporter in my family for many, many years. And if you didn't listen to episode 42, How to Stick with Projects, go back and listen to that because I give you some ideas about how to find that motivation, how to find that deep why for yourself. You can certainly do it in conversation with me. You can certainly do it in conversation with people in my programs. I mean, it is a big part of what I help people do, but you can also do it on your own. You can also do it on your own. And that really helped me so much. And that's the belonging part. Because when I was scared or too tired or whatever to write the thing that needed to be said, it was every single time. It was community that held my hand. I just kept going. And I think that's how I see it work in the world around me too. And it's challenging. The freer we become in many ways, the more grateful we can be for what we do have. And even in the mystery, we know where to reach out to and who to reach out to. I want to back up and talk about desire a little more. I mean, that's a word that comes up a lot on the show. How do you define desire? I think of it of desire as the place that we fit, meaning we fit in our own skin. For me, it's kind of a physical place. And I think of it as in the middle of my upper belly. I can feel like the fire in there and the warmth. And I'm someone who gets cold really easily. And I know how to feel warm without changing anything. I see desire as sitting by a campfire outside, stars in the sky, and there's nothing else. And I am enough. I am fine. And so is everybody there. And all the parts of me, remember that exercise of gathering the whole. Yeah, gosh, that's an old one. That's in the Woman's Retreat book, 1998. <laughs> you have a good memory. I love it so much because it gives permission for all the pieces of us to be together. And so for me, 
desire is almost when we don't need anything else. Which is very different than what most people would consider desire. I mean, desire has been, I think, often mistranslated or miscommunicated in a number of realms from Eastern philosophy and Eastern religions to to Christianity to, I mean, we could just go on and on. And of course, very much used against get against people who aren't in power, women, people who are differently able, people who are marginalized. I love that definition because it has such a settled feeling to it. At the same time, what do you do with the burning? What do you do with the warmth? Like, does it want to go somewhere? Does it want to become something? Does it animate you? Yes. Over time. (laughs) Not right away. (laughs) I'm sort of a gradual. And I remember you teaching and talking a long, long time ago about what's the body of desire, the gesture of desire long time ago. And so I was sort of prancing around the living room, (laughs) the body of desire. And cause the next thing you said was, what if it were the desire itself that mattered and not whether it gets fulfilled or not? There's energy in the desire. And I think that's remembering Bonaventure so long ago, that's where I came to see it as so worthy and so critical in and of itself. The warmth is energetic. And I think when we are ready, and it's always when we're ready, it's that kind of desire, you know, that's the deeper, deeper, that's what I meant. I think there are layers and definitely I had a desire for ice cream yesterday, right? So it's that's very important. <laughs> it's very important. Yeah, I bought some new boots, they didn't really fit. I sent them back like, who cares? I'll never, you know, it's very different. But I think the enjoyment, even just of imagining the boots coming, and that you're going to get to see them and see what they look like. That's, I think, the part that matters. And I think the things that we love to eat, um, and I read a little bit about this too in the book, when food becomes desire, not just something we have to do, and not something that we use for other reasons, but that it's good in and of itself. And our, when it's delicious, that's not bad. Because if we're in a desire warmed place with food or with anything, then we can trust ourselves. Because ultimately, the fire is just warming who we are. And so again, I think as we grow more into our wholeness, that the desire becomes like a compass for us. And when I said, I think it's the point where we have what we need. It's the the moment, and there may be many of them, when we realize, oh, (laughs) I am enough. I am worthy. I can trust myself. I'm here. I'm present. And I'm whole just as I am. Because I think that actually is a lot of people, maybe all of us, the very deepest deepest desires that we want to be okay as we are. And accepted and loved. And it's, you know, that's not an easy path for many, many, many people. And I think it's particularly challenging for those of us listening, everybody listening, who's a creative, because it's so, I have had to learn over and over again that I am not my work. I am not my sales. I am not my bank account. I am not my number on the bestseller list, whatever version of my life that was. And it took me so many decades to learn that desire gets really perverted Mm -hmm. when you don't have that sense of deep enoughness that you can touch and be warmed by. I love that metaphor. 
Let's talk about mystery. So can you define mystery for us? <laughs> I'm in this context. I think mystery is whatever gets in the way of the desire. <laughs> and it might be lots of things, but it's also, and this has become really important to me over the last few years is mystery is when we don't know what's going to happen. And I was in a yoga teacher training program and two actually in the last year. And Michelle Cassandra Johnson shared, taught us one day and she shared, it was part of an agreement with the student group that she had developed with her colleagues at a company called Dismantling Racism Works. And this agreement is that we will expect and accept non-closure. And at the time, I was like, wow, I mean, I'm a doctor. (laughs) If I say that to the patients, I would have not been a doctor very long. I don't think she is right. And I think it didn't take much longer till the pandemic arrived. And those words became my mantra for a long, long time. And then writing a book was much the same. I want to do this just partly because I desire to share who I am in a way that I love because I love books and I want to be as effective as I can. And I hope that it's helpful for people that they like it, they enjoy it, or that they want to tell their friends about it. But mostly I'm not in charge of what happens. Those are like a seesaw for me that you say, okay, I desire this. I'm going to do it. And I want everything to be a B, C, D, E. Well, that's the mystery. You know, you can get right up to the A and it might be on vacation, you know, (laughs) for like six months. have come to see, we all, I think, have come to see that the things we thought were sort of done deals aren't necessarily done deals. And that's always been true. But I think we plan and we live our lives and sort of unconscious hope and assumptions Mm -hmm. that, you know, well, yes, of course, I'll be able to do that. And now I sort of hope that I'll be able to do the things. And Because I know that my attachment to any one outcome other than that deepest desire. Serving that deepest desire. Right. When I get sort of over here, over there, I'm dealing in what if and maybe, and that makes me anxious. It makes other people anxious. I feel like learning to live in non-closure. I do my best to pick up the dry cleaning and, you know, I I hope that they have it. The big things I am learning slowly to surrender and the people I see in spiritual direction, that seems to be a pretty common theme these days is what would happen if we just trusted that whatever comes along would, if we, again, were really following the deepest desire that we have, what would that be like? Even Mm -hmm. if we couldn't know what was going to happen, because of course we can't. And does that really have to stop us? Does it really have to stop me from writing a book? I think the point came along and again, it came uh, with belonging and community to see that other people were doing this. They survived. (laughs) They Mm -hmm. thrived. And many times I could too, because at, at the deepest part of me, we share so much more than divides us. I've been fascinated for a while now with the the idea, the concept of common humanity and what we share and how even in a a place filled with strangers and people I will never know, we still belong to each other. I think a lot about that now with the climate stuff and 
the pieces of our life that we are here bearing for the future, for our kids and our grandkids and whoever else. And it's so complicated. And there's so many pieces to all of it and all of the things that divide us now. And where do we even start? And for me, it's just reaching out again and saying, tell me what you think. This is what I think. Does that make any sense to you? So that I'm not as afraid to voice my stuff and I receive their stuff. And if we can learn to tolerate that kind of exchange, even if we don't agree with a fundamental respect for each other as a human being, then I think that's my desire to live that. I want to live whatever is left for me in that kind of place, that kind of mindset. What do we do about the loneliness epidemic? If belonging is so necessary for people to experience their desires and walk through mystery, how do we get people together so they can have that sense of belonging, how loneliness, especially exacerbated by the pandemic has been so incredibly bad for us. That's really true. The impact of loneliness and being lonesome, especially when it's not acceptable to acknowledge that it's not acceptable to even acknowledge that to ourselves. And I think that is part of the emergency. <laughs> a mental health emergency that has been literally declared for young people without that rootedness, without that grounding in who we are and that that's okay. It's really hard to go to a restaurant and sit at a communal table and just sit at a table with somebody and say, hi, I'm Sarah. How are you? <laughs> you, you, know? Know, you know, I'm also thinking that when we own our desires, it might help us seek out belonging. I mean, your sister did it for you with the first mm -hmm. retreat. She did. So we have to be willing to say yes to things, but we also have to be willing to take action on our own behalf of our desires. Now, Dan, I think one of the big takeaways for the conversation for me is understand that the belonging is part of that, that you need the belonging. I see belonging as the, the guide wire between... Mm desire and mystery on the way there. And on the other side of mystery, it's, it's coiled around in between and it's elastic. And sometimes it's one person. And sometimes it's a thousand people. If you're part of some group, that's very large. And it doesn't have to even be traditional groups or anything. I remember you, you saying when you moved to Colorado that you started running and you made friends as a grown up. <laughs> As a grown up, 53, I started running at 53. <laughs> yeah. And see, I think that's exactly the kind of situation where you had a choice, did that. You kind of reached out and did that and took yourself outside. I know that you'd love that, doing that. But I also have heard you say how much that belonging means in your neighborhood, in your community, for you, for your husband to belong somewhere very close that you can walk to. Mm -hmm. or run to. And the thing that I think is hard to understand is that in adulthood, a lot of us so easy to find good friends, to find a friend that you can really trust. This is not the kind of belonging that is superficial. Ultimately, it can start that way because everything starts that way. But I think we need it like we need vitamins. Right. Whole self, our body, mind, and spirit need to be connected. And it might be at the library, maybe not even talking to anybody, but 
saying hello to the librarian, you know, and you go in there and when you leave saying hi again, goodbye. The human connection really nourishes us. And over time, again, we're not in charge of what other people might want or not want to be connected to or who they might or might not want to be connected to. So that piece about surrendering to the mystery is true. And when we try to hold on to the person that's not interested in us or the job that isn't the right place for us, or even a book that we start to read. I would love to talk just a little bit in our last few minutes, how you came up with the structure for the book. Because my memory is it went through a few iterations and I feel like there was maybe a particular time farther along in what you thought the process was when the structure changed and kind of the, the clarity of the book, the point of the book. Well, this book, when I started it, and it's very clear to me now that structure can take a while to find and that it also makes all the difference. It makes all the difference once you have it. But I thought I had it in the beginning, and I was going to write about one thing, one subject. I was going to write about a trip to Israel, and I was sure of that. And the more I did on that, the more I realized, oh, this also needs to be about human development. And I remember, I think, Jen, you asked, hmm, those are like two really big things. And I said, oh, no, no, that's great. I'll, I'll integrate them. So I wrote a first draft that was about things in Israel and places in Israel, and also about what prenatal development is like and postpartum development is like and kindergarten and all the way. I tried to sort of make a sandwich with those things. That was too much. But I did write the whole draft and it was a hundred pages longer than what I have now. I think together we kind of figured out that that was too much. The structure was chapters, but it was just sort of infinite chapters (laughs) about one thing or the other. There wasn't a lot of there there. Then I thought, this is when I was in one of your masterminds, the nonfiction mastermind, which saved me and saved the book. I 100% believe that. Thousand percent. I love that Sarah said the nonfiction mastermind saved her book a thousand percent. I think the reason why is besides it's a fabulous program, we enroll twice a year. It is also because it is all about finding what is your project really about and why are you really doing it and really working out the hook or the frame or the shape. Like, why? Are you doing this and why does your person want this? And then really working out the shape or the structure after that. And that work is scary for a lot of creatives. And and even if you're not a writer, you're not working on a book, I think it can be really scary in a lot of different mediums to get that up at that high level and make those choices because we're cutting off options. But that's what creativity is. It's accepting restriction. It's accepting that we can't be and do everything in every project. And I especially find it is so important to do that early on in a book. It can save you literally years of time. thought, well, maybe I'll just write about different parts of life. So then I, instead of two things, I had seven things. And then that was too much. And then I thought, no, I just want three things because three is like a sacred number. I want three things. And I didn't know what they were. 
kind of a mishmash for a long, long time. I figured out the three things. And it was kind of a surprise to me because I have heard and and read a lot about desire in all the different contexts. I just think most people would see mystery as a book you read when it's cold outside. But it it ends. I mean, and we can go forward. And the mystery that changes us is the one that's so hard. And I literally asked myself, okay, so there's two things, desire and mystery. But how, what on earth do you do in the middle? You know, Martha Beck talks about, I've taught this image that she uses of caterpillar soup. When there's a caterpillar and eventually becomes a butterfly, but in the middle, it liquefies. What's that? I moved from that image to the image of belonging. And once I had that and I saw that anything, any story I could tell, and there's a lot that I tell in the book, would fit and would be aligned with those three things in my experience. And then I started thinking about all the people I've listened to, patients and families and the spiritual direction people. And it's a really used pattern. And then I went back and took the seven life areas, the really basic things like love, work, family, and some others. I looked at those areas through the lenses of desire, mystery, and belonging and to see how did they show up. And across the book, how desire, mystery, and belonging show up is can be a roadmap for how we show up. And I saw that as I wrote it. And so the structure was an introduction to desire, mystery, and belonging. And then looking at each of seven life areas, love, work, family, then also creativity, um, healing and wholeness, things like that. And then a conclusion. Ultimately, that's where it led kind of a three legged stool, seven of them and seven areas with an umbrella on top of it or a beach (laughs) and a beautiful cover cover, (laughs) and a wonderful forward that thank you for that, that I think opens the door and welcomes everybody. I also walked the publishing journey with you and you were lucky to have a robust um, network uh, within the Episcopalian community to look at. And you got a lot of interest from different publishers, but eventually nothing quite worked out until this publisher. What kept you going during that time? Besides me, what kept you going? (laughs) Well, it's definitely you. And and by that time, I think it was a lot of other people as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of people wanted the book. Really, really did have encouragement from other people who I had reached out to and said, I'm going to do this. I'm looking for a publisher. And there were several of them who gave me direct connections that were not working out for capacity issues or whatever, but everybody was super nice about it. Do not give up because this is part of your life. It's part of your journey and we love you. I heard that in different ways from people that knew me forever and people that really didn't know me that well at all. I feel like it's a lot of things when it's time, it works out and it can be a long, long time. I mean, it could have taken a long time. And my thought was if there wasn't a traditional publisher who was the right fit for this, if my desire was still to publish the book, but I couldn't get comfortable in any other kind of situation, I would learn about self-publishing. When I realized that I could and that that was available to me, my desire was strong enough to remind me, yeah, you can learn. 
And that was a big piece, trusting that part of me that said, okay, I like this. I want this and claiming that. Well, Sarah, I'm so excited for you. I'm so glad that I get to share the book with our listeners, Desire, Mystery, and Belonging. I love to ask my guests the last question. What do you desire to learn next? (laughs) What do you desire to learn next? Very interested in learning about what you do after you write one book. (laughs) Because it's sort of a conundrum. I met with my publisher. We were talking about other things. And I said, I just have one question. Now what? She said, well, now you focus and savor. You know, you enjoy where you are right now. And I said, but she said, you'll know, just like you knew about this. And so I'm playing with what would I do next creatively? Because I'm convinced that that is a big part of my desire. Whether I succeed or not. Mm -hmm. that I want to make things in some way, shape or form. I'll need to do that. So I'm doing my best to learn about how to be an ally in all the ways. And there's so many ways that our culture needs people to be, hopefully at some point, moving from allyship to accomplice. And I'm like a first grader, right? I mean, I've learned a little but I feel like the kind of magic here is that this book has energized me I can stand in a different place now. I have a different perspective. I am more in touch that however I show up, if I really show up as myself, even if I make mistakes, because I will, that I can trust in my goodness and in the goodness of the people around me in their deepest desire and their heart and to to kind of turn the flashlight on for that and learn what I can about just helping the world be better. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm very honored. Isn't she just a lovely, lovely soul? I'm so privileged to get to work with her and so many of the other creatives and writers I've gotten to work with over the decades. If you're interested in learning more about the nonfiction writing mastermind or my other writing programs and retreats, including half-day online retreats for all genres at all levels. So just go to jenniferlowden.com, get on my email list, poke around, get on some wait lists, or you can always send an email to Janet Jennifer Loudon and ask to be added to the nonfiction mastermind list. But otherwise, to get on the big email list, you need to go to jenniferlowden.com, and, and we announce a lot of things there. Okie dokie, what you take away from this episode? For me, it's all about desire. No matter how much I write about it, no matter how much I teach about it, I'm always learning. And that's because that's how we bother. The subtitle of my book, Why Bother, is Discover the Desire for What's Next. Desire is our energy. It's what pulls us forward. So it's always changing and growing and deepening us. So I'm going to be journaling and reflecting on desire. What about you? Wouldn't it be amazing to share this episode with a friend and then get together and talk about your deepest creative desires? Ooh, that sounds delicious. Next week, I got a special, special episode for you. I made you a solo episode about how to start a creative project because I get that question so much when I teach. How do I start? What ideas do I choose? I have a go. Do I know enough? I got to let that, right? So I'm laying out my very best ideas for starting next week. Hope you'll be there for that. And in the meantime, have you left me a review? I know. Doesn't every episode, I mean, every podcast asks for a review. It's so annoying. But I know you love this podcast. You tell me about it on social media. You tell me about it in emails, but I don't see that many reviews. So if you could take the time, just log into your Apple iTunes on your phone or your computer, drop me two lines, hit the the five stars, I hope, but you know, whatever you think, 
and give me a review. That would be so awesome. It really, really gives us legitimacy in the world, which is crazy, I know. All right, so share this episode, listen to your creative desires or whatever your takeaway is. Give me a review, but most of all, what are you going to do? Create out loud. Have a fantastic week.